0: Hello and welcome to Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Jeff Hughes. And I'm Chris Albee. On the program this week, I'll be speaking to the Right Honourable Ed Schreier, who is the former Premier of Manitoba and also the former Governor General of Canada. And we'll be reflecting on the 40th anniversary of Manitoba electing its first NDP government.
1: And speaking of politics, I'm going to be chatting with Margaret Vigiani of Radical Women and the politics of women in regards to International Women's Day.
0: Also a discussion with Professor Anthony J. Hall from Lethbridge, who came and delivered a paper to the Sociology Sociology Department of the University of Winnipeg, and he'll be discussing the war on terror.
1: We also have our favorite, Music is the Weapon, with Andre Clement, and this week, Johnny Rotten, And Sid Vicious with the Sex Pistols.
0: Of course, we also have Around the Left in Seven Days.
1: And headlines. And now for the alert headlines for the week of March 12, 2009.
0: Workers and retirees of General Motors will feel the pain of changes negotiated in a new tentative contract agreement. Canadian Auto Workers President Ken Luenza said the union had to agree to significant sacrifices to ensure the federal government would grant GM financial assistance. Union negotiators agreed to freeze both wages and pensions, cut paid vacation time, and make current workers and pensioners pay more for health and insurance benefits. All of this, however, will only happen if the federal and provincial governments come through with billions of dollars in help for GM, Luenza said. The tentative agreement will be voted on by 10,000 GM workers in Ontario this week.
1: The federal government has ordered the shutdown of the Canadian Independent Film and Video Fund on March 31st. The fund, with a modest budget of $1.5 million, has helped launch thousands of educational films which would not have been made otherwise. Supporters say the fund generates more than $20 million in activity and has helped launch the careers of hundreds of Canadian documentary filmmakers. Mark Akbar said his documentaries Manufacturing Consent, Noam Chomsky and the Media, and also The Corporation, would not have been possible without the support of the fund. Both those films became the top-grossing feature documentaries ever made in this country, according to Akbar.
0: Liberal leader Michael Ignatieff has strongly condemned Israel Apartheid Week, which took place throughout Canada last week. In an opinion piece in the National Post, Ignatieff blasted the Canadian Union of Public Employees resolution passed last week to boycott Israeli academics. He called it an unacceptable violation of academic freedom. Ignatieff stated that the Liberal Party of Canada condem- condemns the Ontario CUPE resolution in the strongest possible terms. He accused some politicians of using the ongoing conflict in the Middle East to drive a wedge to divide Canadians.
1: The federal government bill to eliminate pay equity appeals to the Human Rights Commission and make them a matter of collective bargaining has been denounced by Winnipeg NDP MP Judy Washalia-Leese. She said the Commons vote in favour of the budget bill this week marked the death of something for which there has been a struggle for over 30 years. Liberal MP Hedy Fry promises that when Liberals are re-elected, they'll reinstate pay equity.
0: The veteran pilot who pulled off the brilliant emergency landing of a stricken airliner in the Hudson River says the harsh pay cuts caused by deregulation in the airline's industry are driving experienced pilots from the cockpit. Sully Sullenberger, a 58-year-old who joined the U.S. Airways predecessor in 1980 told the U.S. House of Representatives Aviation Subcommittee that his pay has been cut 40% in recent years and his pension has been terminated and replaced with a promise worth pennies on the dollar. He charged that a wave of airline bankruptcies were used by some as a fishing expedition to get what they could not get in normal times.
1: American authorities have started to investigate the alleged role of senior military officers in the misuse of $125 billion in a U.S.-directed effort to reconstruct Iraq after the fall of Saddam Hussein. The exact sum missing may never be clear, but a report by the U.S. Special Inspector General for Iraq Reconstruction suggests it may exceed $50 billion, making it an even bigger theft than Bernard Madoff's notorious Ponzi scheme. The real looting of Iraq after the invasion was by U.S. officials and contractors, and not by people from the slums of Baghdad, said one U.S. businessman active in Iraq since 2003.
0: The financial sector invested $5.1 billion in political influence purchasing in the United States over the last decade. In 2007, the financial sector employed 2,996 separate lobbyists to influence federal policy making, more than five for each member of Congress. A great many of those lobbyists entered and exited, th- exited through revolving doors connecting the lobbying world with government. Former Treasury Secretaries Robert Rubin and Henry Paulson both served as chair of Goldman Sachs before entering government. All this influence buying has enabled Wall Street to establish the framework for debates in Washington and to obtain very specific deregulatory actions with devastating consequences.
1: President Barack Obama's public backing this past week of a bill that would make union organizing easier is driving companies to step up opposition. Obama embraced the Employee Free Choice Act in a video address to an AFL-CIO meeting. This bill would let workers opt for unionization simply by signing cards, rather than through secret ballot elections. An election gives an employer the opportunity to campaign against a union. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has said it will spend at least $10 million this year fighting it. Major corporations, including Walmart, have spoken out against the bill.
0: Barack Obama has said that he is open to the idea of reaching out to moderate elements of the Taliban. The idea of cooperation with some in the Taliban has been talked about for many months by American military commanders, including General David Petraeus, head of U.S. Central Command. Meanwhile, the British government has said it is open to talks with the political wing of Hezbollah, a Lebanese Shia Muslim organization. Britain has had no formal contact with Hezbollah since 2005 and last July it added the group's military wing to its list of banned organizations. It is reported that a meeting has already taken place between a delegation from Britain's Conservative Opposition Party and a Lebanese parliamentary committee that included one Hezbollah member.
1: And those were the headlines for the week of March 12, 2009.
0: And now, Around the Left in 7 Days. For more information on any of the events listed in Around the Left in 7 Days, go to canadiandimension.com and click on Around the Left in 7 Days.
1: Study in Action is an undergraduate conference at Concordia University to link students and community activism around the theme of resistance and occupation. The conference, from Thursday, March 12th to Sunday, March 15th, will provide space to present research, develop knowledge of social and environmental issues, and build ties with community organizations.
0: Canadian environmental and social justice groups present a teach-in on nuclear energy in Ontario. The event begins with a screening of the film Battle of Chernobyl on Friday, March 13th. The following day, workshops will be held on the cost, health effects, and effectiveness of nuclear energy and its alternatives. Speakers include Dave Martin of Greenpeace and Vinay Jindal of Physicians for Global Survival. All events are at the University of Toronto.
1: McMaster University hosts a day-long conference on strategies for collaborative resistance and alternatives to the Alberta tar sands. Faces of Resistance, the Future of the Tar Sands and You is on Sunday, March 15th in Hamilton. Guest speakers include Gordon Laxer of the Parkland Institute and Clayton thomas Mueller of the Indigenous Environmental Network.
0: From March 20th to 22nd, the Student Assembly Against War and Racism is a pan-Canadian student conference to end the war in Afghanistan. Co-sponsored by the Canadian Federation of Students, Ontario, and the Canadian Peace Alliance, the Assembly will address a broad range of topics including Islamophobia, counter-recruitment, and the militarization of campuses. The event is at Ryerson University. For more information on any of the events listed in Around the Left in Seven Days, go to canadiandimension.com and click on Around the Left in Seven Days.
1: We celebrated International Women's Day on March the eighth, two 2009, and we're going to be speaking very shortly with Margaret Vigiani of Radical Women. But first, I'd like to read a proclamation from the women of Venezuela fighting Women's Day. The 8th of March is a day to commemorate the struggle and remember all those women who, with their own steps, charted the path that we are traveling today— Clara Zetkin and other German socialist women who proposed to unite feminism and socialism. The Russian women who spearheaded the Soviet Revolution. 146 North American women who fought for better working conditions and were killed in the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire in New York in 1911. But the 8th of March is also a day to celebrate, to celebrate the lives of women. A fiesta in which we joyfully proclaim. A fiesta in which we joyfully proclaim another world without gender oppression is possible. This history didn't happen by chance. It's connected with a tradition of courageous women fighting against the patriarchal capitalist system. With their blood, they wove a network, and with our blood, we are doing so today. We are the weavers picking up this authentic thread, which was nearly buried by the imposing records of official history. Today we are taking a firm step to reclaim our rights, which remain incomplete. Let us finish the unfinished revolution, bequeathed to us by the commitment of our fighting grandmothers, our fighting mothers, fighting women who taught us a lesson in solidarity, women of wisdom who protected life, making it possible to dream a different world. And we're here now with Margaret Vigiani of Radical Women and we welcome her to Alert Radio. In regards to your organization Radical Women, what particular women are you saluting uh, on International Women's Day that just took place actually on March 8th of this year, 2009?
2: Well, we're saluting the unsung heroines, um, the women who are often the backbones of um, the movements, and in particular in recent days or weeks, you know, in Iceland There were women who went out and protested with pots and pans um, demanding aid for people and not banks. And they kicked off a series of demonstrations that led to the prime minister and the cabinet resigning. And the Puerto Rican Teachers Union, which is 80% female, they not only held a successful strike, despite it being illegal by their contract... Um, they were able to stop the privatization of the schools. They also fended off an attempt by um, Service Employees International Union to uh, decertify their existing union and um, sort of swoop in and take them over, which I think is a just a wonderful, wonderful example of organizing. Right. And women are really... Have taken on the lead in so many fights around the world in um, France there's been pushes to denounce cuts in teachers positions and demand job security and of course I think we all know that in Palestine women and youth have often been the backbone of the resistance against the Israeli occupation.
1: And that's true. And after just reading uh, that fiery socialist feminist Mm -hmm. declaration uh, from the women of Venezuela, in your opinion, where in particular, uh, besides Venezuela, is this kind of militancy showing up? Um, I know you had just mentioned Palestine Mm -hmm. uh, and France, Iceland. Any other places?
2: Well, I'll tell you, in Nicaragua, this is, uh, I'm sure your listeners may know this, but uh, the Autonomous Women's Movement in Nicaragua has been in a running battle with Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistan government regarding right. um, abortion rights ever since uh, October 2006, when um, abortion was outlawed. Even abortions that would save the life of a woman were outlawed. And they have uh, really battled the government tooth and nail over it, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. You um, bet. And so that's been one battle. And in the United States, immigrant women who uh, live in Bronx, the Bronx, which is a part of New York City, right. have been fighting a company called Dora for over six months. They've been out on strike because um, new management tried to cut their wages by 25%. And, you know, in, this, in our country, in the United States, immigrant women are often in a very precarious position, and yet these women (laughs) refuse to back down. So they stood their ground. Yes, they have. They have, and they continue to. Because unfortunately, that strike has not been settled.
1: And so you've touched on something uh, Mm -hmm. regarding economics here. So let's go on that track. How are women being particularly hit um, as the global economic crisis takes hold and deepens, unfortunately?
2: Well, if, if. as everyone knows, I mean, women still bear the brunt of home care. Right. They are free labor in the household, and it, which isn't to say that men aren't doing more. But still, in this day and age, women are still primary um, carers of the house of the household, and also of children. Nowadays, with the cutting of social services, you'll also see a lot more elder care being okay. shouldered by women. So the economic crisis in the cutting of social services is creating more work for women in the home front and also because women make less on the dollar than men in the workplace. So they're already lower paid in the workplace.
1: And so one would wonder how these women are going to survive worldwide.
2: Well, and they don't, and the reality is it's the, you, you see women so much on the front line of the labor upsurges In the united states it's really been women immigrants and people of color who have been the most vibrant aspects of the labor movement in our country um and uh i i mean i I unfortunately don't know if this is also true in canada but i wouldn't be surprised to find out that it was true because they're the people bearing the brunt of the economic crisis
1: and so as you track this crisis um margaret Mm-hmm. What kind of organized resistance do you see from women? I know you've mentioned quite a few. Let's focus on a couple more.
2: Well, one thing I, I think very much the role uh, immigrant immigrant women have really played a huge role in fighting against the crackdowns um, imposed on them, like, as, as you know, ever since 2001 we've basically been military the united states has been militarizing the canadian um u.s border right and would they have gone so far as to say that you know they have the right to the border patrol is, is operating up to 100 miles inland in the united states and been harassing immigrants and here in western washington which is where i'm based and also in vermont um We know of active organizing that is immigrants working with other members of the community to stave off these attacks of harassment. And partly what they're doing is they're rounding people up and forcing them into detention centers, and if they can't show proper documentation, they're sending them, well, supposedly back to their home countries. But normally what happens is they get dumped in Mexico, regardless of where their home country was. Right. So it's pretty appalling, um, this to say situation, the situation, but the fight back is inspiring.
1: Let's talk about your organization, Radical Women, and let's talk about what role it plays um, in empowering women.
2: Well, Radical Women's been around for a little over 40 years. We're a socialist feminist organization, and we like to say that we... Are the left wing of the uh, <laughs> feminist movement,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that we bring feminism to the left movement because we think that feminism that isn't dealing with the economic issues, the economic base, right. is is not you. You're not going to win. You you might win reforms, and you can, but in the end, you aren't going to win equality. And that is the purpose of feminism. It's the the point is to win equality for everyone. And that the socialist movement needs feminism. It needs the vibrancy of women leaders, particularly women of color or lesbian women who have been so often on the front line of the f- defense of abortion right. rights or queer rights.
1: And how can people find out about radical women?
2: Well, you can go online at okay. www.radicalwomen.org right. or you can contact us at... Uh, radical Women us at gmail.com and I would suggest if people are interested you know check us out on the web email us call us we'd love to hear from you and you know people are interested in our politics we've written some wonderful documents all of which are available on on our website
1: well I want to thank you today for um coming on board and, and discussing this so important issue uh, with our listeners.
2: Well, thank you for asking me to speak. And I just want to say now more than ever, we need the excitement, the vibrancy, the militancy of women in the labor movement, in the anti-war movement, in the movement to protect us against these horrendous budget cuts. Right. And I think women are there. And it's just a matter of us working together, feminists, Feminist men, feminist women working together to promote the leadership of women so that the movements are dealing with the issues of people at the bottom of the economic ladder. And when we deal with those issues, we deal we everybody rises up.
1: I would agree with you. And thank you so much again.
2: Well thank you, Chris, for having me on.
1: Okay. And that was Margaret Vigiani of Radical Women. And if you'd like to read more about the proclamation of the women of Venezuela regarding International Women's Day, please go to the Canadian Dimension website at www.canadiandimension.com.
0: This is Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Jeff Hughes, and I'm joined now by Dr. Anthony Hall, who is founder and professor of globalization studies at the University of Lethbridge. He has just delivered the distinguished lecture to the sociology department of the University of Winnipeg, and the paper is called... Bush League Justice. Should George W. Bush be arrested in Calgary, Alberta to be tried for international war crimes? First off, welcome to Alert, Tony Hall.
3: Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks, Jeff.
0: I would like to ask you about this paper
3: and can, t- can you tell us what it is that led you to write this paper at this time? Uh, my uh, friend, colleague, associate splitting this guy, who was, uh, his lawyer is Ramsey Clark, former Attorney General of the United States. Uh, he, he's a very powerful individual. He called me and told me Bush was coming to Calgary. This was about a week ago, and uh, we, we started on several lines. Uh, I, had, I had this presentation to do in, in Winnipeg. Uh, the title was going to be uh, 9-11 Human Rights and the Fraudulent War on Terror, which is essentially uh, much of what the contents of this paper are now uh, it's the same information but reconfigured around a situation which is of huge uh... significance in terms of the the future history of international law the question of whether canada is really a sovereign country or if we've simply become now a colony a subordinate colony of the united states you know militarily legally uh... george w bush is one of the most reviled persons on the planet Some could say he was a very terrible president, you know, the economy is uh, in a mess, the uh, debt went sky-high, invasions. uh, uh, But some have the view, such as myself, that it goes far beyond him being a terrible president. This is a criminal. This is somebody who meets all the criteria for uh, international crimes, crimes against humanity, war crimes, aggressive war, genocide crimes against the peace these are all very specific terms that have a history for instance in the Nuremberg trials where the United States was very aggressive in asserting the principle that we've got to hold individuals responsible for aggressive war Uh, the the Nuremberg judges uh, determined that aggressive war constitutes the ultimate supreme war crime because it contains within itself all all the other crimes. So, um, from reports in uh, the U.S. Army, internal reports in the U.S. Army that came out in June of 2008, written by Taguba, by uh, the uh, Special Rapporteur for Torture in the United Nations, they've come out reports which unequivocally state that uh, torture took place in violation of the Geneva Conventions, that uh, Rumsfeld ordered these, this torture, and, and with the knowledge of uh, his chain of command. In other words, the top of the executive branch is, is George Bush. So when George Bush comes to Canada, he's coming into Canadian jurisdiction. Uh, Canada is a member of the International Criminal Court. United States is not. Uh, The International Criminal Court is uh, arresting and putting on trial uh, individuals in Africa. For instance, uh, those who've employed child soldiers. uh, The head of state of Sudan, uh, al-Bashir, Omar al-Bashir. He is being uh, uh, put through the process of a trial for uh, violating international criminal law, So here we have George W. Bush coming into our country. Law demands that he be apprehended. First of all, he shouldn't be allowed to enter the country. We have a War Crimes and Crimes Against Humanity Act where we say unequivocally in the prelude to that act that Canada will not be a haven for war criminals. Uh, So there is George Bush, clearly the person associated with these things in in a very technical way. And, of course, there's the the international law uh, prohibiting torture, like took place in Guantanamo Bay, in Abu Ghraib. So it's really a test case. He's coming into Calgary, brought in by the Chamber of Commerce, the Rotary Club, but really by a legal firm, uh, Bennett Jones, which is a major member of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Of course, Bennett Jones is a lawyer for many of these oil companies. Uh, Calgary is kind of a colony uh, of Houston and Dallas in many ways uh, it's an economic colony uh, many of the people in uh, Alberta especially Calgary oil patch come from Texas so this is a very specific decision to uh, choose Calgary as the place where he's going to come because it's sort of a redneck capital uh, uh, the, the the vision is you know he won't get the terrible reception that he would get in most places. So it's kind of a test case, and it sends out the signal, are we going to see Cheney, um, Rumsfeld, um, Condoleezza Rice, Uh, Paul Bremer. uh, The the criminals in charge of the aggressive warfare, which the Nuremberg judges said is the supreme international crime, are they just going to be able to go around the world giving motivational talks and getting big bucks to uh, speak to chambers of commerce and business people or such, or is there a real rule of law in the world? Is there a rule, is is the, is law just for poor street people in Winnipeg, for instance, is law just for those who are low enough down in this socioeconomic chain that uh, uh, is law just uh, to protect the wealth and power of those who have wealth and power from the incursions of those who have been dispossessed and marginalized. Uh, so so the, the credibility of our criminal justice system is really on the line. Uh, lawyers against war have already sent legal positions to uh, Prime Minister Harper, to um, Michael Ignatieff, to the different ministers in charge of immigration um, justice, with very specific legal arguments about how specific aspects of the Immigration Act, or this act against uh, war crimes and crimes against humanity, this Canadian Act, have been violated, what is required. Uh, so so there, there's a, a, definitely a very technical legal, legal level to this.
0: One final question, Tony Hall. Where are we at now with the possible prosecution of former U.S. President George W. Bush?
3: George W. Bush hasn't had a trial yet. Let's be clear, Dick Cheney hasn't had a trial yet. One of the things I did in my paper, Bush League Justice, is to imagine what a trial would look like. And if George Bush was on the stand, if Dick Cheney was on the stand, what defense would they give? How would they say they didn't do aggressive war, for instance, in Iraq or Afghanistan? And, of course, they would give the defense that they weren't, weren't doing aggressive war. They were protecting the civilians from the evil terrorists, the Islamic extremists. Uh, and, 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 of course, at that point, you have to say, well, what's the evidence here? and uh you know the the fact that we get so much lies and distortions on the commercial media but we have the internet now we have shows like what we're doing right here right now we have alternative media and so we have ways to keep ourselves informed that no other people have really had ever before what are we going to do with it
0: well thank you very much tony hall and uh, your paper is titled Bush League Justice, and if you search it on the internet, you shouldn't have any trouble uh, finding it, and we encourage you to read it. 2009 marks the 40th anniversary of the election of Ed Schreier as the first new Democratic Premier of Manitoba. He served as Premier of Manitoba from 1969 to 1977. In 1979, he was appointed Governor General of Canada and served in that capacity until 1984. Welcome to Alert Radio, Premier Schreier.
4: Well, thank you uh, for calling on me. It's, uh, it's a, certainly a memorable anniversary.
0: Well, many of our listeners are hearing us on university stations. So can you talk to us about uh, what it was like at that time? And Well, actually, in review, tell us the single most important achievement of your government. What
4: comes to mind are uh, such things as the introduction, the first uh, anywhere in North America, of uh, home care. Now, that's something that doesn't get high profile, and it's not particularly dramatic or politically sexy to use uh, that expression but it was the but first it's here. one of the most profound and uh, helpful uh, of uh, social programs that uh, can be uh, conceived of and we brought it in in Manitoba the first jurisdiction in all of North America and since then it's sort of been taken for granted across Canada so that's one point home care the second was uh, certainly the introduction of uh, premium-free uh, medical care. That was just in its inception then. Thirdly, and I still have some scars to show for it, uh, we uh, we went ahead with the harnessing of hydroelectric uh, energy on the Nelson River, even though at the time there were all kinds of opposition to it and uh, some uh, even so uh, bold as to suggest that we should have built... Uh, coal and or natural gas-burning thermoelectric plants instead. So you can see how uh, times change. And also I should mention the introduction of uh, publicly owned automobile insurance, which uh, enables us to offer automobile insurance in Manitoba at rates that are pretty hard to beat, um, and I doubt are beat by uh, any jurisdiction in North America.
0: Well, thank you for summing up eight years, in uh, a difficult job yeah. to sum that up in just a couple of minutes. Well, but can I ask you now, what of your goals were you unable to accomplish in those eight years, or what comes foremost to mind?
4: What comes foremost to mind, well, um, quite frankly, I, I, in retrospect, I kind of wish that we had gone ahead with the, uh, in the establishing of a... Uh, publicly owned uh, Manitoba-wide banking uh, system. It's sort of ironic that uh, when we even mentioned it, it seemed to uh, raise a storm of uh, protest uh, for the same old sort of of right-of-center reasons. But uh, ironically, (laughs) in Alberta uh, and in North Dakota, both of which are, in a sense, conservative jurisdictions, they have... Uh, uh, province-owned or (coughs) state-owned banking. Uh, Not exclusive, but but a treasury branch and bank branch system owned by the state or the province. I I rather wish we had done that, um, but uh, compared to some of these other points I just mentioned, uh, the main accomplishments I mentioned, uh, it's not in the same league, perhaps, but I rather wish we had done so.
0: Well, you briefly touched on what possibly... Well, I should just uh, pose the question. Do you have any single incident that you see as regrettable from your eight years as Premier of Manitoba? Any any one uh, mistake that you would go back and do differently?
4: Well, uh, I know that perfection is not of this world, and uh, so no doubt uh, one can find some examples, but I, offhand uh, I don't know what we would undo if we had uh, had the uh, if we had the opportunity uh, certainly we wouldn't go back on public automobile insurance you mentioned or, scars nor would we go back on home care that's for sure nor would we undo the harnessing of the renewable energy of the Nelson River I think uh, what's sad is that um, there has been so damn little done since then
0: well going back to the uh, the mood in 1969 people um, have suggested that you was Incredible hysteria was the reaction from the business community and the media, especially the Winnipeg Free Press. Can you, uh, for our younger listeners, describe the, uh, the mood of the day?
4: Well, the mood of the day, I guess, can be most accurately described by simply looking to the election results. And the election results would indicate that um, a plurality of the people did want a social democratic administration. At least that's the assumption I make because that's why they elected
0: us. Well, what was it like on a day-to-day basis trying to govern with that kind of pressure? Did it uh, wear you down?
4: Yes, it did, uh, but slowly. uh, uh, Our government was um, a collegial kind of government. Uh, I had colleagues that I felt uh, very... Uh, confident in uh, they certainly shared uh, the ideals of a social democracy I should think a social democratic philosophy and that's what made it uh, uh, bearable if not easy uh, because we did bite off some would say we bit off more than we could chew we had, in other words we attempted to do simply too much uh, in you know in those relatively few years But we were young, and we did have an idealism that motivated us, and we were in the midnight oil, and we accomplished quite a lot.
0: Do you see a different NDP today from 40 years ago?
4: Yes, I do. Um, What I do sense is, uh, and uh, and most of this is unfortunate, really, I sense that uh, starting somewhere in uh, the mid to late 80s, And then all through the 90s and into until maybe a few months ago, uh, the NDP seemed to be willing to uh, modify itself and accept uh, quite a bit of uh, the so-called new left thinking uh, that, uh, well, how can I best summarize all this in a few words, in a sense characterized by such as... uh, Tony Blair in the United, in Britain, and 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 a few other uh, ostensibly left of center politicians, but who really seemed to be uh, all too willing to accept the flavor of the month of the year, which was deregulation, privatization, uh, more deregulation, more privatization, all of, not all, most of which. Was injurious to the to the public interest, injurious to the common good. And nonsense, really, political and economic nonsense, much of it. And yet, it was if it was resisted by the NDP, it wasn't resisted quite vehemently enough. It's only since we've had the uh, collapse of both performance and of ethics in in uh, in, the, in the marketplace and in banking. That there seems to be a a realization, rather all of a sudden, since last October, that um, so much of this new political marketplace thinking is, is garbage, it's nonsense, has to be resisted.
0: We've been joined by the Right Honorable Edward Schreier, who is the former Premier of Manitoba, the former Governor General of Canada, and uh, has spoken to us on uh, the 40th anniversary of the election of his first NDP provincial government in Manitoba. So, uh, thank you very much, Mr. Schreier, for speaking to us today on Alert Radio. You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Music is the Weapon, on alert, radio for people who want to change the world. This week on Music is the Weapon, seminal UK punk band, The Sex
3: Pistols. André Clement will return next week.
0: that's it for Alert for this week of March 12, 2009. I'm Jeff Hughes.
1: And I'm Chris Albee, and we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks as usual to all the people that helped make Alert happen. Nash Soon-Walla for the headlines.
1: Karen McIntosh for Around the Left in Seven Days.
0: André Clement for Music is the Weapon. Technical producer Tommy Allen.
1: And our executive producer Saigonic.
0: Alert Radio is broadcast on the Canadian Dimension National Radio Network.
1: For today's episode, you can click on www.rabble.ca or go to the Canadian Dimension website for past shows as well as today's show at www.canadiandimension.com.